0: The following episode of Geeks and Beats contains language or subject matter that may be unsuitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. Dude, I have my very first
1: ever keynote presentation tomorrow morning. Oh. And I just finished the PowerPoint.
2: Yeah, yeah. Did you have interesting transitions and in animations?
1: I am actually not using PowerPoint, I'm using something called Prezi Next which is something I used to use when I was on the air at BNN for my little explainer, uh, Top Stories. Okay. It's advanced dramatically since I had used it back then. And um, 193 pages. What? No, you, 193 slides? Yeah, including the transitions. It's mm-hmm. a 60-minute keynote. Have yeah, you ever d- done a 60 Yes, yes, ke- I have. I did one two weeks ago, 10 days ago. So you know how much work that is most of them are 20 minutes yeah it's it's on the auto industry holy 193 gr- 60 minutes dude i know i did i my mind was 32. you come from radio i come from tv where we have a phrase that says say cat see cat okay, right. so almost every paragraph had to
0: have its own graphic Here we go, here we go, here we go, live from Studio 3B, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes, Spotify, and Geocities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting.
2: Auto Motives, the car industry is
1: shifting gears to the self-driving future. We'll look at why battery electric cars aren't the only street bet they're making.
2: And we're already gearing up for our next live show in August in
1: CES 2020 in the new year. i got to work on my uh, metaphors, gearing up, yeah, shifting. a bit weak.
0: <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth.
1: Uh, what's the programming again? It's called Prezi, P-R-E-Z-I. Never heard of it. It's way better than PowerPoint for a bunch of things. At least I hope it is. I'm going to find out tomorrow because the conference is specifically PowerPoint, but I messaged them asking, "Do you, can you also use Prezi? And the response was, well, if your laptop's got an HDMI out, then yes, we're fine. So I'm hoping that all of this work over the last week is not for naught. Oh, God.
2: Yeah, I'm actually working on a same sort of thing right now. I have a TEDx.
1: You're doing a TEDx
2: in Winnipeg next uh, next Wednesday.
1: Oh, good for you, man! Yes. So uh, they're <laughs> very, very strict about TEDx. They are. I have between 15 and 18 minutes. They'll make you go over it and over it. They'll cut
2: it down on you. I know they will, and then I have to go out next Tuesday for the um,
1: rehearsal. Exactly. They don't just let any jamo get up there. Ooh, no, they don't. And then if you do well at TEDx, you graduate to just TED. Yes. But anyway there you go and this on the heels of me coming back from hosting I, and i don't even really want to call it hosting because i was more of the fireside chat guy mm-hmm. at uh, the auto parts manufacturers association of canada Hold on, wait a second hang on back up just a second why are you doing all these automobile things because i'm just that kind of guy no you're not i you know what i'm not i'm not a car guy that's what i'm saying yeah i'm not a car guy but i am an automotive guy are you and it Yes, I, I'm fascinated by the industry, particularly since the auto industry now and, and will be increasingly a computer on wheels. Yeah. You know, we we talk about the skateboard format where it won't be long before every vehicle is electric in one way, shape or form, battery electric. And so the, the platforms that the auto industry will use in the future will largely look like skateboards and you can plop whatever you want on top of it. Yeah, it's called the universal platforms. So the industry right now is grappling with this remarkable amount of change and particularly in the auto parts space, whether it be OEM parts for the the major players or aftermarket parts, they're wondering what's going to become of them because when you have electric-based vehicles, it has a fraction of the parts that an internal combustion engine vehicle would have.
2: Well, there's also the issue of dealerships. Dealerships make all their money on service and if you don't have to do things like oil changes and transmission work, well, all of a sudden, what are you going to use that back
1: garage for? Exactly. Exactly. So the thing is, is you're not going to use that, by and large, for working on a personal vehicle, the vast majority of the vehicles, probably 20 years out, will be fleet-based vehicles from services like Uber and Lyft and, and GM Cruise and Ford's got its own relationships as well. All of the major automakers have recognized this is the future. And when I spoke to Ford at the Consumer Electronics Show in 2017, I asked about that, you know, like, aren't you worried that I am not going to want to buy a new car when this one runs out, so to speak? No, it's all going to be subscriptions. One of the most ridiculous movies I've ever seen was Hot Tub Time Machine. And there was a line in it where the guy of the future um, calls his car. And the guys from the present say, wow, you own a smart car? And the response is, no, nobody owns a car now.
0: (laughs) Holy shit!
1: What's up, man? No, 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 no. There's no one driving that car. Yeah, it's a smart car. Yeah, I can see that. No, it's a smart car. It's (laughs) self-driving. What? That's awesome. Now, see, this is that future shit I'm talking about. How much does that set you back? You guys are hilarious. I don't own it. I mean, no one does. You need a car, one shows up. Really? You're a wonderful car, and I appreciate you. Someone's got to own the car. Who is Ford selling cars to down the road? Well, it depends. I mean, we we still think there's going to be very vibrant,
2: you know, private ownership of vehicles for many years to come. Um, but in the city center of Toronto, uh, there are going to be fleets owned by Ford. They're going to be fleets owned by all sorts of uh, companies. And those fleets, and, and, and more and more, will be automated. Um, and those automated vehicles are going to be working most of the day. They're never going to take a rest. And for us, We are going to have what we think is a compelling system, because it's not just about delivering people through an automated vehicle, it's also delivering goods and integrating with the city.
1: It'll all be on demand for the average Joe. However, there's always going to be a demand for a high-end vehicle, for someone who can afford it, who's okay with the vehicle sitting in their garage 95% of the time. And for those people, and even for those who aren't, even for the, the, the fleet, Uber, on-demand type world, the, the upshot is there's always going to be a need for personalization of that vehicle.
2: Yes, that's true. That's true. And it, it sort of has started already with the option lists that are offered by certain manufacturers, but I think it is going to be, there's just so much money to be made in
1: options and customization that you're going to see a big uptick in that. Right. The film Minority Report had, uh, just as a sidebar scene where Tom Cruise is trying to escape, he escapes into the autonomous vehicle network, and they all look like identical beans whipping up and down the sides of buildings and, and things like that. But you may have noticed that they weren't all the exact same color, that some of them were different. And I, I think that's an interesting nod. I'm I'm going to read into it perhaps a little too much, but the way I saw it was... Those different color vehicles represent different classes. We as consumers always want to be telegraphing our status to the world and the most recent example I have of that personally is my Series 4 Apple Watch. The Series 4 Apple Watch did something that the Series 3 did as well. If you've got the cellular mode on the crown, the little dial you spin, It was red if you paid the extra money for the cellular, and then on the Series 4, they did a little red circle instead of a full-on dot. Mm. And this is signaling, and so in the future, we're going to have the same kind of class and social status signaling in our autonomous vehicles. If they all essentially perform largely the same way, it's going to be about personalization of those vehicles on the exterior and on the interior the things you do now that you've got more time on your hands
2: well this is true uh and this is one of the things we talk about in radio what are people going to do when they don't have to drive
1: when they don't have to drive, they're going to have an awful lot more time on their hands. And I think radio is not going to benefit from that to the degree that one might think. When we hit level five autonomy, we will be able to take our eyes off the road. And the moment our eyes can go off the road, our ears become secondary to our visual field. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see more interest when we at level four radio still has a place podcasting and all of that at level five we're going to want to be able to focus on a screen to focus on our day what's next when we're going from point a to point b on our way to that destination we're going to be working towards whatever that destination is going to provide us and that's going to be screen based content it's going to be augmented reality based content and it's going to be voice
2: Oh yeah, I, I totally agree, and this is something that comes up at radio conferences all the time. What is the industry going to do in the age of true autonomous driving? And the answer is, we don't
1: know yet. So when I speak at this um, conference as the keynote, I'm 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 going there as the futurist.
2: <laughs> I know. Sorry, that was I didn't mean to snicker. I'm sorry.
1: No, I did too. When, when my speakers bureau uh, put me on their website as a futurist, I immediately messaged them. I said, hey, listen, um, I, I don't know how comfortable I feel about that because whenever someone hears the word futurist, they roll their eyes. Uh, and the response was, no, no, no. Our, our audience, our demographic, our client list, they're interested in hearing from thought leaders who have ideas about the future and you qualify. So we're going to call you a thought leader. Hope you're okay with that. fine. That's fine. Put it on a t-shirt, I'll take it. So I'm opening up the conference with anybody who tells you they can see the future is selling you something. This is very true. (laughs) This is extraordinarily true, yes. We can predict general trends to a degree of accuracy. The big things that make a big impact, though, we almost never see coming. No, this is one of the things that I'm talking about when I
2: do my TEDx thing next week. When streaming came along, we didn't see the downside of what that technology, what kind of human behavior, human music consumption behavior that technology would create. And now it's messing with the very nature of music. So that's my whole presentation next week.
1: For me what it is is about it's about the fact that we make the mistake of looking for one single catalyst for change. Rarely do big leaps happen thanks to one single thing. And even when one thing triggers a big change, it's actually a group of of disparate discoveries or advances that come together in a single moment of time. Like uh, the first example I give is 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 the smartphone. Like you remember a time when camera phones were a new thing? Mm-hmm. And people rolled their eyes. What do I need a f- camera in my phone for? Uh, I know. The first camera phone came out in the year 2000. I, I bet you can't, I, I would bet you my next paycheck that you couldn't tell me who invented the camera phone, the very first one. Wasn't it Kodak? Wasn't Kodak. No, It was, no. wasn't Samsung, and it certainly wasn't Apple. Uh, Hang on. Uh, okay, would it have been? Give you a hint. It was a television manufacturer. A television manufacturer? The Sharp JSH04 came out 19 years ago and only in Japan. Okay, no, I did not know that. It, it was 74 grams and it had a VGA resolution camera 0.1 megapixels.
2: <laughs> okay, I had a Motorola Razor, which I thought was the coolest and most advanced phone ever, and its phone was 0.8 megapixels.
1: CMOS sensors were a, saw a big leap over the 25 years to the day when we got that very first camera phone and it wasn't because we were looking to put cameras in phones we were looking for other ways of bringing light in and and sensing it itself and so you know no surprise that 0.1 megapixel camera is not particularly impressive but then you, you put a pin in that and you move over to a whole other area of technology battery technology do you know we've been putting batteries into phones since 1946 when the Swedish police department first used them really yeah And the the modern day cell cell phone battery has its origins in 2001 when we had this big leap in technology that eliminated something called the memory effect. You remember that? Mm -hmm. Where if you took a battery with 60% left on it, charged it up to 100%, if you did that too often, it would think 60% was zero. But it was four scientists that came up with this new way of doing batteries back in 2001. And then, you know, you think about other little technological leaps as well. You know, like like the BlackBerry, it gets the credit for inventing the smartphone, but it actually wasn't the first to do it. It wasn't Apple. It wasn't Samsung either. It was IBM. Smartphone? The very first smartphone was the Simon Personal Communicator. It had a touchscreen, a black and white touchscreen, 4.5 inches by 1.4 inches. It was like a rectangle, like a long, thin rectangle. The screen resolution was 160 by 293. <laughs> and it was in today's dollars, thinking about the new iPhone and going, why the hell would I pay 1500 freaking dollars for an iPhone? Yeah. In today's dollars, back then it was the equivalent of two thousand and eighty Canadian dollars.
2: Yeah. Okay.
1: But it was this multi-touch technology for the screen that didn't come until nineteen ninety-seven, from a, actually a, a group of Toronto University of Toronto researchers who figured out how to do it right. Then Apple bought them in two thousand and five. So we had the the camera, we had the battery, we had the screen, all coming together at about the same time that created. The smartphone.
2: Yeah, you need a number of things. Nobody's going to sit down and invent the smartphone.
1: Right, and and actually, when you when it comes down to it, the reason the iPhone exists is because the iPad exists. Mm -hmm. The iPad was actually in development before the iPhone. Before the iPhone,
2: yes, that's true.
1: And they just hadn't come up with sufficient technology to be able to pull it off at that price point and that size.
2: Well the reason that they they came first is because of the touchscreen. They needed uh, more real estate to actually work on on making the touchscreen work. Right. And it wasn't until later that they managed to shrink it down to the size of the original iPhone.
1: But what had happened was flip phones became so ubiquitous that Steve Jobs recognized that something that was infinitely more mobile and pocketable was way more valuable to the public at large than a tablet. So they put the iPad took all of the technology from the iPad, including the operating system, and crammed it into the very first iPhone, and that's how we got it. But it really wasn't, we didn't see an explosion in the smartphone technology until we could rely on the screens themselves. And the, the you know Gorilla Glass, right? Do you know where Gorilla Glass started? Uh,
2: it's with Corning, and I, th- I used to know the story, but you go ahead.
1: It's the automotive industry. What, for windshields? In 1968, Corning developed its glass using an aluminosilicate sheet for racing cars so that they could replace the heavy glass windshields so the vehicles would be lighter. The Dodge Dart and Plymouth Barracuda were the first to get it in 1968. And as a matter of fact, the Ford GT, the sports car today, still uses that Gorilla Glass. I wouldn't be surprised.
2: I really wouldn't be surprised.
1: It took Corning figuring out how to toughen the glass by immersing it in a molten alkaline potassium salt at 400 degrees. And what they learned is that when you do that, the sodium ions that make up the glass get replaced by larger ions from the potassium. You know, it's kind of like building a bridge. Like you could make a bridge out of popsicle sticks, but maybe longer beams are better. Mm -hmm. And because the ions occupied more volume, the glass surface could handle more stress. Uh, Granted, obviously not enough stress for most of us because I... Blows me away how many people I see walking around with cracked screens still. Mm -hmm. Oh, and by the way, Corning also introduced Willow Glass in 2012. And you know what we see it in today? Willow Glass? No. That new flexible screen from Samsung that keeps breaking.
2: Yeah, that nobody wants right now. They're rushing it to market before they got it perfected. Can we go back to batteries for just a second? I I knew that there, I was looking for a story. I knew I saw something earlier this week. Um, There is a new type of lithium metal batteries it's a semi-liquid metal anode which will allow uh batteries to be charged faster and have a higher capacity so they're good they found something that will ring out a little more time from lithium batteries before they can figure out how to make sodium batteries work properly really yeah sodium is the is the way to go because i mean that's salt but right. the problem with sodium is that it's highly reactive and it tends to explode when you uh, expose it to
1: water. What was interesting about the uh, the auto industry conference I was at last week was uh, when I spoke with Linda Hassenfratz, who is the CEO of Linamar, which is one of the top tier. Well, like, it's called a tier one uh, parts maker. They they've got tons of widgets in every vehicle on the on the road today. And what she had told me was that Linamar knowing that you don't know what the future holds you can only make educated guesses is not only investing heavily in battery electric vehicles and the skateboard phenomenon of the universal platform but also hydrogen fuel cell batteries
2: yeah there was a story in the global mail today saying that hydrogen fuel cells are back for real and it's this time the
1: technology is there remember ballot power Systems. Ballard Power Systems was supposed to give us all hydrogen-based fuel cells, and they couldn't get it right fast enough such that they went from being the savior of the auto industry in the world of peak oil to, yeah, we're making fuel cells for Coleman camping stoves. Yeah,
2: but wh- according to this article in the Global Meal Business Section today, uh, it's for real. This is happening now. I hope so. I mean, the problem with hydrogen-powered um vehicles is that you it uh, hydrogen doesn't have as much of an ex hydrogen doesn't have the same explosive power as gasoline does and as a result you don't have as much horsepower or torque so they're gonna have to figure out a way to grind more energy out of exploding well out of out of hydrogen than they can out of petrochemicals
1: I, when I was speaking with uh, Toyota's Jeff McKerowitz about this, I, I said, you know, it, it seems that hydrogen fuel cells have the same problem that electric battery based vehicles have, which is a chicken and egg scenario for infrastructure. No one's going to buy a fuel cell based vehicle unless there are charging stations or refueling stations in the case of hydrogen. Mm-hmm for that express purpose. And what he had said was, Toyota knows this, and they've built these stations in California to prove that it's a viable technology in the long run. And you can make a trip from one end of the state to the other and fuel up using hydrogen power along the way. Well, it's just like Tesla building their supercharger stations. The reality is, is despite all of the money being thrown into battery electric technology, We have one big problem. What? And that is? Rare earth metals. Uh, okay. Lithium is the primary component in the current technology. And we're scraping that off the Peruvian plateaus like you wouldn't believe. And China. Yeah. China is the biggest source of lithium and not exactly the friendliest country to do business with if you're an American right Right. now. Uh, And because they are called rare earth metals for a reason, we are at substantial risk of running out of the necessary component for batteries this early on. So the sodium technology is an interesting solution. But we have the most abundant fuel source in the universe already at our disposal in the form of hydrogen.
2: Yeah, it's the most abundant thing since the Big Bang.
1: So Toyota has already started working on all of that kind of technology. As a matter of fact, they built out three different divisions, Toyota Connected for big data, for the artificial intelligence side of self-driving cars, Toyota Research for the robotic side, and to throw a ton of money at anybody who might have something in the future that might work, Toyota Ventures for startup capital. Mm. It's The technology is almost there
2: it's now about the will and the execution, and if you start seeing, you know, I was thinking about this uh, just the other day when we hear about the oil tankers being attacked in the Gulf of Oman. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you imagine how different geopolitics would be if we didn't have to rely on oil for the majority of our our vehicles? That would completely rewrite. The way the Earth is 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 governed, is coveted,
1: is policed. It would be fantastic. In the United Arab Emirates, thirty percent of that country's gross domestic product is directly based on crude oil and natural gas. Mm-hmm. It is um, the it's it has an incredibly high standard of living as a result, and the United Arab Emirates wants to keep it that way. So they have spent. An incredible amount of money to diversify away from crude oil because they know it's coming to an end.:
2: I've been to Dubai, I've been to Abu Dhabi, and you're absolutely right.
1: So with that in mind, they're focusing on the next generation of fuel cell technologies as well, and they're throwing a lot of money at all of that because the last thing they want is to you know return back to the the desert that the that, that UAE was at one point. You've seen the before after <laughs> photos of just the last 20 years? Yes.
2: Yeah, the other thing they're working on is uh, solar power, because if there's one thing they have, it's a lot of sun.
1: <laughs> exactly. I had seen a, an infographic that had suggested that you could power the entire planet with solar using a solar panel farm that was one-tenth the size of Arkansas.
2: Wouldn't be surprised. And then if you could crank up the efficiency of the solar cells, would be pretty interesting.
1: Right, five nine is what they call it, where they want the solar cells to be 99.999% efficient. Right. Solar panels currently have a 21% efficiency rating. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah, we got a long ways to go.
0: Little darling, it's been a long, long, long time. Little darling, it's been so long.
1: We came full circle as well back to the issue of, you know, how you convince people to get behind the wheel of a self-driving vehicle. It, it it level 5 is probably 20 years away mm-hmm. we've had this remarkable growth over just the last 5 years but that's like 80% of the way but the last 20% the conference told us last week was the, the this difficult part and that's where it's going to slow down to a crawl as we try to move towards that level 5 i I've, i'm addicted to videos right now of a british tesla owner who's testing out the autopilot in small towns in england and Particularly with the European Union, they brought in some new rules about autonomous vehicles. Things like the minimum or the maximum, sorry, the minimum turning radius, mm-hmm. I guess, so that it can't turn as narrow, it has to be wider turning radius. Okay. Uh, right. Uh, for, for issues, I suppose, to do with um, sudden changes in course and that you don't want to freak out other drivers. But what it means is that the vehicles can't handle some roundabouts.
2: No, because some of those render are really, really tight. And if yeah. you have a minimum turning radius, you might, might not be able to make the circle.
1: And so, if you know anything about a Tesla Autopilot right now, you know that you have to keep your hands on the steering wheel, and as a matter of fact, it's got sensors to ensure that you continue to do so. Uh, But every once in a while, it'll tell you you'll have to take over. And just watching the times at which it does not ask you to take over because it thinks it's doing the right thing and it makes these wild changes, I, I can't show my wife. Now, it's still indicating left, but we're going right, Jesus Christ! My wife would never get into a self-driving car if she saw the tests going on today. No, 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 no. But I so want a Tesla.
2: <laughs> yeah, I want the Roadster, the new Roadster that's coming out that can do zero to 60 in 1.9 seconds. I want
1: one. Man, when you don't have to deal with the grind of a combustion engine, these things can take off like
2: a shot. Yeah, because there's no shifting gears. You simply are, you have a, an infinitely variable uh Amount of, uh, of 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 torque going to those rear wheels, and uh, it's instant on. And man, you uh, you will put your th- um, your Adam's apple through the back of your neck.
1: One of the interesting things about the Tesla Autopilot that I was watching in these videos has to do with the customization. You can make minute adjustments to the settings. One point that was was made was that when the vehicle in front of you accelerates after a red light turns green, the Teslas don't accelerate as quickly as you normally personally would. And what that means is the guy in the lane beside you thinks, oh, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to duck in and get in front of you. And the moment you do that, of course, the Tesla comes to another grinding halt once Mm. its wheels start turning. But you can actually adjust how much space you want to leave between you and the vehicle in front of you and how quickly it responds to changes to the vehicle in front of you. So they have a mode on it called Mad Max.
2: (laughs) Have uh, have you seen the celebration mode in the Tesla X? The what? Uh, it, it's what happens is you you step out of the car and you hit celebration mode, and the gull wing doors start to flap, the lights start to chase, and the stereo starts to blast Beethoven's Ode to Joy at, at uh, maximum level. It's hysterical. Uh, touch screen right oh yeah if you ever get bored you can change the uh, the GPS the navigation so that you are actually the screen displays you as driving a rover on Mars oh neat yes totally useless but cool and the other thing about Tesla is that sometime in in the next little while they are going to make that screen YouTube compatible to which I say, what could possibly go wrong?
0: <laughs> London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update.
1: So we've already gotten an email from the Consumer Electronics Show asking us if we will return for CES 2020. And, sir, plans are afoot. What? Yes. Um, I've, we've had a conversation, Vanessa Azoli, our ace producer, and me, talking about what we could possibly do to raise the funds necessary to get us to CES 2020 uh, January 7th in Las Vegas. The big sale. Close. We did the live on Facebook Live from Michael's Back Deck Show Show Mm -hmm. as the big kickoff to season six uh, in the last week of August before the, the kids went back to school. And we are talking, and you tell me what you think about this. We're talking about renting out a hall, a venue, and doing the show live there. As a fundraiser with sponsors (laughs) and silent auction and an opportunity for the listeners to not only meet us, but actually be on the show and participate in a live Q&A that would end up in the podcast as well. And you think people would actually come? Well, that's a little questionable, although we have had fans drive as far away as Ottawa to come see us at the Fan Expo that just passed.
2: Well, I will tell you too that I was in Ottawa this past weekend doing uh, four speaking engagements, and the number of people that brought up uh, Geeks and Beats was, uh, was rather interesting.
1: Good. So maybe there's an opportunity. So as a matter of fact, as a listener, if you would be interested in something like this, ping us in one way, shape, or form on social media. Let us know if that's something that you'd be interested in because there are venues that um, aren't occupied every night of the week. And we might actually be able to get a venue for free depending on the criteria that gets us in the door. For example, I was at Bites and Brews, which I was acting as the moderator of a panel on technology and startups and things like that. And I found from the organizer that he didn't pay a dime for the venue. Um, What he did was, because it was Bites and Brews, the brew component of it was this bar, which is also a brewery, had a second floor. And so everybody who showed up to this event got to taste some of the, the various beers that they have and if you wanted to actually have a beer you just go to the bar and you buy a beer and this was their way of creating revenue for what would otherwise be an empty space so they didn't charge the, the 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 event for the use of the space they knew that there was a lost leader to be able to get people in the door to buy beer and, and food and things like that and they provided all the tech to make it possible as well
2: i wonder if i were to talk to the people who are doing my speaking tour side door access Yes. If they would want to do a series of live shows.
1: That sounds like a great idea. Let me check with
2: them. And we could do them, you know, with an easy driving distance so we don't have to spend too much money. And whatever money we make from the sales of tickets for these events, we could put that in the kitty towards the CES fund.
1: $10,000. I know, I know. You, me, and a show producer... For four straight days covering it all. It's going to be awesome. All
2: right, let me do some homework, you do some homework, and we'll see what we can come up with.
1: In the meantime, we want to uh, thank some people for supporting the show already, because we do have a little bit of money in in the kitty already. As a matter of fact, we have enough funds right now to send one of us to Las Vegas, at least the flight. Okay. You have to sleep on the street, but we'll work on that part too. We want to say thank you to Robin Calda and Aaron Nicholas who are no longer Patreon fans of the show. They deleted their Patreon contribution, as did Crystal, but jumped over to our PayPal service which has a recurring option as well. So if you go to geeksandbeats.com and click the support the show link, you can still be a member of the world's worst intern program without signing up via Patreon. And uh, all we do is ding your credit card every week for a buck. That's what makes it the worst intern program. You pay us to work on the show. Don't do any actual work. And all we do is say thank you when you come on board. We want to say thank you particularly to Silver Rye. I believe that's the pronunciation Mm -hmm. uh, from Perth, Australia. Oh, wow. Yes. Uh, Saying with too many hobbies and not enough time, favorite music album, Get Short Sound. I guess it's the Oh, be the Get Shorty soundtrack.
2: That's interesting with John Travolta and and, uh, Renee Zellweger not Renee Zellweger, Renee whatever and Gene Hackman says he's not
1: a fan of the actual movie. It's it's more about the soundtrack, and says he or she have, has been listening to Geeks and Beats weekly for a year or more now. Love the banter, trivia insights, explorations, comments and current happenings. Heck, I love the whole show. Keep up the good work, guys. Good. Well that's nice. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you.
2: Brene Russo. That's who it is. Can I read you something else? Can we move, uh, before we wrap up here, can we talk a little bit about uh, this other article that I've come across? Okay, hook me up. I'm just going to read this uh, verbatim. This is from spectator.us. A romantic dinner for two, five years from now. Karen is sitting across the table from Ryan, sipping her oaky but floral Chardonnay. She reflects on just how great life is these days. Ryan is everything she ever wanted in a man. His skin tone is exactly the color and feel she was looking for. His conversation is interesting, ranging sensitively from Tolstoy to cheeseburgers. Thanks to facial recognition, he always knows her mood. It's almost uncanny how he's always right there to give just the right amount of empathy, just at the right time, or even slightly earlier. He knows her likes and dislikes, her interests and her expertise. At last, she has found her intellectual equal. Oh, and the sex. Of course, it helped that Karen was able to describe her wants and needs from the very beginning, from penis size to the erotic activities and erogenous zones that she found most satisfying. No more three-minute encounters followed by the guy asking if she enjoyed it. Now, she gets to ask for what she wants, no judgments, However bizarre, others might see her requests. For the first time in human history, satisfaction really is guaranteed. Who wouldn't fall in love with a smart, gorgeous, empathetic, and sexually considerate man like Ryan? And who does fall in love with him without Karen knowing? Anyway, she doesn't mind. Ryan is infinitely replicable, infinitely customizable, Uh, and infinitely uh, responsive, so long as his battery doesn't run out.
1: Sexbot!
2: He is a sexbot! A robot made for sex.
1: Was last week's show not enough for you?
2: I am. This popped up today. I know that we are on the cutting edge of (laughs) sex bot journalism. And I thought that uh, you might want to know about this. By the way, the story that I'm looking at has a female sex bot by a company called Abyss, uh, Abyss Creations. Her name is Harmony. And damn, she looks almost identical to Ivanka Trump.
1: Oh. I've said that if Ivanka weren't my daughter perhaps I'd be dating her you know? <laughs> Stop it! Oh it's so weird
0: Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes and watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you To be part of next week's show call area code 323-319-NERD Follow the stories on Twitter, Facebook and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com